New life. Good to see y'all. That's a hard question to answer. I'm sorry. Hey, well, it's good to see you all. Uh, it's funny. Last time Chris introduced me and he said I demolished a bear last time I was here. And, and I don't know if that's true or not, but I did, our family did demolish some of that bear smokehouse barbecue. Yes. Um, man, that is a gift from the Lord to us. And if you haven't had that place, you'll thank me later. Go check it out. Um, and so, hey, as, as Jonathan said, uh, Daniel Dixon, married to Shelly. We celebrated five years, uh, June 2nd. We've got two little girls, Evelyn, who's turning four in November. Josephine turns two next month. And, and man, we, we just love coming down here to Asheville. Uh, this is like our, our second home. Thank you all for your hospitality. We've gotten a chance to stay with... Um, Brian and Terry Hart, and, and one of the first things they said to us as we entered into their home was, hey, this is your home. Make it like your home. And I said, I don't think our girls want to hear, make this place like your home. And so, but, but that's truly how we feel every time we come down here to Asheville and, and, and spend life with you all. And, and we're just so grateful um, as a church for their, the gospel partnership. I mean, the ways that you all prayed for us, encouraged us in the Lord, and supported us financially. I uh, mean, our church is just so thankful for you, New Life. Um, because we're family, I, I just want to give you two ways that you can be praying for Redeemer Fellowship. Um, ministry's hard. Uh, church planning is, is, is not what I thought it was going to be. It's extremely challenging. Some of the things that I dreamed up on the whiteboard aren't coming to fruition right now. Uh, and so uh, here's a couple of ways you can pray for us. One is for the last year and some change, I've been the solo pastor. And we're in with the works of trying to raise another $100,000 to bring another full-time associate pastor on staff. And so you, you just pray that the Lord would provide for both the, the, the funds to hire this, this, part, this, this associate guy and also um, the, that the Lord would find this, this person to, to link arms and do ministry with us. The second way you can pray for us is circle your calendar, August 19th. As Jonathan mentioned, a team is coming up from, from here to join us in serving our, our community. Uh, we have an event called Back to School Bash where we're, we're rallying up some, some churches and some school supplies to bless uh, a community in need as, as they prepare to go back into the school year. And so just circle that date from 9 to 11. We'll be serving, loving on, and hopes to share the gospel with these, these, these uh, family members. Um, and so those are just two uh, tangible ways you can be praying for Redeemer Fellowship. Uh, and so now we're going to continue in, 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 in our sermon series, Romans chapter 8 which some have said is the greatest uh, passage in, in the scriptures. And I've been tasked to, to kind of talk about some very light-hearted topics. Uh, suffering and waiting. Those are just some things we just kind of eat as appetizers. And so, uh, hey, would you, would you just join me in praying? Uh, and then we'll hear from what God has to, to say to us. So, Father, you, you sit on your throne your eternal throne, and your eternal kingdom. And you continue to speak our names into existence. You continue to give us breath in our lungs. You continue to 
allow our, our bodies to function however they are. Um, and you do all this for your glory. And that's another reminder of just how kind and faithful and loving you are. I just love the words uh, that David sang in Psalm 18. I pray that today would be the prayer for our time this morning where we get to say, hey, Lord, we love you because you are our strength. Lord, you are our rock and you are our fortress and you are our deliverer. You're our God, you're our rock and you're the one in whom we take refuge in. You're our shield and you're the horn of our salvation and you're our stronghold. So would you continue to minister to us this morning? Will you continue to reveal to us your power, your strength, your might? It's not lost on me that the people came in here to hear from you, the true living God. They didn't come to hear from me. And so I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be honoring to you, my rock and my redeemer. And God's people said, Amen. Uh, so a couple of weeks ago, I had a chance to go to India for, for a couple of days to, to continue or to explore partnerships, of, like gospel global partnerships in India. And when I got back, it, it became really apparent to me uh, that my wife needed a break. Like, she she was solo parenting, and the girls had been driving her crazy, and not only did she need a break from those kids, it felt like she needed a break from me, even though I was gone for a couple of days. And so I got the cue, all right, hey, Evelyn, Josephine, let's get out of here. After about an hour of trying to get them out of the house, uh, we, we went to my high school. My high school is just around the street, uh, around the corner from where I live, and the, the, the assistant coach is now the head coach, and we love to spend time with him. My daughters know him as Uncle Jerry the Candyman. Every time they see him, they just want candy. They don't want nothing to do with him. But we, we want to love him. We want to be with him in hopes that he actually comes to know Jesus. And so we arrive to, to Marshall, and my kids bust open into the gym, and Evelyn screams out, Uncle Jerry, I want some Starburst. And I go, hey, Evelyn. They're in practice right now. Chill. We got 10 minutes. After he's done, I'm sure he'll come hook you up with some Starburst. And so in her three-year-old mind, that means if I run to this wall and back, 10 minutes will be up. So she grabs Josephine, runs, comes back, and goes, hey, it's 10 minutes up. And she goes, forget you, Daddy. Uncle Jerry, I want some Starburst right now. And I go, hey, no, no, no. 10 minutes ain't up. Wait a little bit longer. And so she does it three or four more times, and she goes, hey, Daddy, you know what? This is something you and I already know. Hey, I don't like to wait, Daddy. I, I can't wait any longer. Waiting is annoying. I want some candy right now. And I go, Evelyn, I, I completely understand your pain right now. I don't like to wait either. But here's the deal. In about 10 minutes or so, Uncle Jerry's going to be done with practice. He's going to walk you over to the concession stand. He's going to get you that Starburst. It's going to take you an eternity to get that candy out of that little wrapper. And then you're going to pop that Starburst in your mouth, and your world's going to be flipped upside down, and you're going to forget all about these last 10 minutes. And it was my attempt of giving a three-year-old some kind of hope as she suffered waiting 10 minutes. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. After those 10 minutes was up, 
She went to the concession stand, got the starburst, ripped open the, 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 the candy, popped it into her mouth, and then she turned, her and JoJo kind of just turned into their own little concert. They just sang every song in Frozen for everybody uh, there. And, and it was glorious. It was funny. It was really sweet. And I just kind of sat there and realized, hmm, I identify with Evelyn 1,000%. And maybe you do too. Maybe as you kind of do inventory over your last week or your month's conversation, it's kind of reflected stuff like, hey, I don't like to wait. I'm tired of waiting. This season that I'm in is terrible. It feels like everything that's going on in my world is not going my way. Right? Or if, if only I could kind of fix this one thing in my marriage or in my life, then I would have a joyful life. Or maybe if we're honest enough, we can even say stuff like, hey, following Christ is really hard. And it feels like some days there's no reward. And I may have made the wrong decision. And I'm not here to tell you that you shouldn't complain or voice what's going on in your world. But I do want to encourage us to speak of our circumstances in light of the, what the future holds for us. That the, do not allow your present condition or circumstance to be void of a future hope. Right? If we look at the world, the, the, the couple billion of people that exist on this earth, most of them move from moment to moment hopeless, unfulfilled, quick to give up on life. But the Christian, we have a different kind of motivation. Like we move from moment to moment with a hope in the fact that one day all of this will be redeemed and restored. We have a hope that Christ will return, and when he returns, he'll inaugurate the new heavens and the new earth. And sin and death will be no more, and the fullness of God's kingdom will be our reality forever. The Christian's future is what carries us along in our present difficulties. This is what Paul invites us into as we look at Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 27 is that Paul wants us to see that your future reality is far more glorious than your current reality. But those who are in Christ, we have a future reality that is far more glorious than our current reality. And so he wants to, us to become and mature into a people who see our sufferings in light of our future glory. And that's the work... That is before us this morning, that we would see our current circumstances, our suffering, whatever you want to place in there, in light of our future glory. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to kind of, to kind of realize that the world is off. It's not how it ought to be. Like every creature breathing and living on earth wishes suffering and pain and difficulties didn't exist. And this is all of our reality because sin has entered the world. And then you add into the mix the difficulty of following Christ. And we might ask ourselves, why would I ever want to choose a double portion of suffering? And I feel like Paul would answer us, hey, it might 
get worse before it gets better. But trust me, there's nothing in our human vocabulary or reality to compare to the glory that is coming our way. Pick back up with me in Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 18. Listen to what Paul writes. He says, For, my, for, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul is speaking about his, his, his personal suffering, his own condition. And when we know, when we look at the life of Paul, that from the moment Paul uh, came to know Christ and made it his aim to make Christ known, that he, he became all too familiar with suffering. When we look at the, the latter half of the book of Acts, we see him going from city to city, synagogue to synagogue, town to town, and attempts to preach and proclaim the good news of Jesus. And when he did so, he was always met with some kind of suffering, some kind of persecution. Right? In Acts 9, threatened with a death sentence. In Acts 13, threatened with persecution, even driven out of the city. In Acts 14, mistreated, stoned, left outside the city for dead. Acts 16, imprisoned. And then later on in life, he writes to his young son in the faith, Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse 10. He says, you, Timothy, however, have followed my teachings, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. You've also observed my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. And then he gives us, he gives young, young Timothy a glimpse into what the life of a follower of Jesus will be like. Verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. So if Paul accepted the fact that as long as I know Christ and make Christ known, I will suffer for the sake of Christ. So Paul's suffering is like my hairline. You, you, can't, yeah, you can't see it because it's disappearing. In my 20s, it started, to, be, it started to, to, to leave the proper place on my forehead. And so I had to accept the fact that my hairline wasn't going to be anymore. And Paul's like, man, suffering is my new reality. Suffering will be a part of my life as long as I desire to know Christ and make Christ known. And the lens through which Paul sees his suffering is through the future glory. He writes this to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting at verse 17. He says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Which is to say, hey, your suffering is not being wasted. Your persecution, your difficult seasons, whatever the case may be, is not being wasted. Right? Suffering in your life is not like how you and I treat leftovers. We put it in the refrigerator, we think we're going to eat it again, and next thing you know, we just throw it in the trash. No, suffering is doing something in us, and it's preparing for us what is to come. 
But although as Paul speaks and addresses his personal suffering, he also acknowledges just kind of the totality of suffering altogether. Right? When that, that, that all forms of suffering have a way to preparing us for what is to come. And so that suffering that is a direct result of your sin or sin that has been done to you. Right? That's suffering that we experience for the sake of Christ. That's suffering that, that will arise from our Christian profession in a world that rejects Christ. And that's just also the kind of the, the, the normal way of life kind of suffering, the illnesses that we experience, the, the bereavement, the hunger, the financial challenges, the death. Whatever form of suffering you might be experiencing and enduring, there's something beautiful that can come out of it. Paul says it's preparing, for, it's preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. But here's the deal, when we hear a pastor or even a fellow brother or sister in Christ encouraging us to endure suffering, we kind of get antsy. We start to kind of move in our seats a little bit. We don't like suffering. And so when we hear that, we, rec- we recognize that, hey, to endure suffering, that means it presses up against the idol of comfort that we so treasure. And I'm, I, I'm naming myself as I, as I say that. And I'm naming myself as I say this too. Like I, I have conversations with Christians all the time, especially in America. And, when we, and it feels as though, hey, that, that folks turned to Jesus, entered into a relationship with Jesus in attempts to escape all the troubles of this present age. It's like, man, we just want all the beautiful and glorious promises of God without having to experience and doing the work to get there. It's like when I played college basketball. I got a chance to, to play basketball in Augusta, Georgia. And I remember getting down there in August 2006, and it was blazing hot. And I was told, hey, man, we got to be out here at 3 p.m. in the middle of the day and, and work out. And I'm like, no, that ain't me. Or, hey, you got to wake up at 5 a.m. and run five miles. Nah. I came down here to play basketball and win championships. I didn't come to do all this other work. And what I learned in those conditioning sessions and those preseasons that it was preparing me for the end of the season. It was preparing me for what was to come, the glory to come and winning a championship. And Paul's, and, I, and as we look at the life of Paul, Paul's like, hey, I learned how to enjoy God in my suffering. I I learned how to draw strength and grace from God in my suffering. I learned how to be close to God in my suffering. And it was in the multiple seasons of Paul's suffering, he learned to be honest and real with himself and others. We see this when he writes the second letter to to, to Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. He says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. For as we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired life itself. That emotion that's present is not a cheerful emotion. Verse 9, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but he gives a reason. But that was so that 
that that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but to rely on God who raises the dead. He continues in verse 10, He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope, but he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. And Paul teaches us and, and invites us to learn how to be honest and vulnerable in the midst of our sufferings while also learning to believe that God is doing something in us in preparation for what is to come. Which kind of bears the ask the question, hey, what, what or who do you rely on to carry you through your suffering and your pain? What or who do you rely on to carry you through your suffering, your hardship, your painful seasons? Is it things of the world or is it the one who created all things? Another question to consider as we experience suffering and pain is, God, what are you doing in me to reveal your glory to me and to others? Something I love what Paul does in this passage as we continue is that he goes, hey, it's not just you human beings who are suffering. He kind of expands the scope of those who are suffering, and it goes creation as well. Pick back up at verse 19. He says, For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from his bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And so Paul digs all the way back into history, all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 and goes, hey, since, since the fall of man, God has subjected not just man, but all of creation to a constant state of brokenness. That it's been under a curse and it's feeling that curse every single second. And so even creation knows, hey, there's something off that's not right. And creation itself has this deep longing to see what is broken be made whole, to see what is crooked be made straight, to see what is bruised to be healed. Paul writes, creation itself is eager to get this over with. Right? We live in a corrupted and fallen world. I mean, think about it from a cosmos uh, cos uh, uh, reality, right? That there's, there's animals killing each other. There's global catastrophes wildfires, tornadoes, tsunamis. And then you bring that scale all the way back down to a human level where there's humans killing each other. Right? Friends that are being deceitful and stealing. I was just in India and as I'm exploring Delhi and old Delhi, there was this heart-wrenching moment of going, hey, oh, this girl has been born into poverty and she'll die into poverty. I imagine everybody longs for a redeemed and restored world. 
and all of creation, you and I, we are desiring to see freedom from this curse. And the feeling that Paul associates with this groaning is a woman giving birth. Now, there's only one gender that can experience that. And then there's only a few, uh, not every female can experience, woman can experience giving birth. But I don't imagine those who've experienced birth, giving birth, are going, hey, I want a shot of labor and delivery this morning. No, like, like I mean, I watched my wife give, go through uh, labor and delivery twice, and the whole time I'm going, man, I would never want to experience that. That's the association that Paul said, hey, man, this is what creation is feeling like. It's feeling like it's going through childbirth. I love what this one scholar says on this verse. He says, the longing anticipation of the future transformation is shared by both creation and Christians. Creation and Christians, one, suffer at present from a, state, from a sense of incompleteness and even frustration. And two, eagerly yearns for a culminating transformation, which is to say, hey, it's not just you who are frustrated with our reality. All of creation longs for a restored world. And in the midst of this eager longing, Paul gives us something to hold on to. Paul gives us some, some deep encouragement as, we, uh, as, we carry, as we're carrying through our suffering and our difficult seasons. What he gives us to hold on to as we walk through it is not a Starburst or a Starbucks. It's something way more glorious than those two things. He gives us the gospel. Pick back up with me at verse 24. He says, For in this hope you were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. I tell my people all the time, hey, as you're reading through the scriptures and as you get to the epistles and Paul's letters, and the, the gospel is always saturated and anchored in Paul's points. Paul, Paul anchors his points in the gospel. And so if you kind of read through Paul's writings and you go, man, where was the gospel? I'll just go, hey, read it again. The gospel is there. Verse 24, for in this hope you were saved. And the way that Paul inserts this hope in these verses reveals an eschatological tension of our Christian existence. That there's a past experience in the sense that the gospel has saved you. Right? There's no other way to have and experience true salvation than through faith in Christ who lived, who died, who rose and ascended to heaven and is one day returning. That's the only way we can experience real salvation. It's through and in Jesus Christ. And those who are in Christ are saved from experiencing God's wrath and we get to look forward to receiving and experiencing God's eternal blessing and fellowship. That's one part of this hope. But it's also because of that hope that saved us, we wait patiently to experience the fullness of that hope, is what Paul says. The fullness of our adoptions, the fullness of our redeemed bodies and world. And until that day come, Paul encouraged us to wait, to wait patiently. Now, I know when you hear those two words, wait patiently, 
you might be thinking or your associations might be, huh, I wait patiently for the deer to cross the road or for you all in Nashville, for the bear, for the moose, for all of Narnia to cross. (laughs) Or you might think waiting patiently is like standing in line for 12 bones. Like, hey, by the way, that is crazy. Uh, Hopefully there'll be a shorter line next time. But the image that Paul wants to, to give to us this morning is a, is, a, is a patience more along the lines of some, like a prisoner in war. If you've seen the movie Unbroken, in the middle half of that movie, the prisoner in war has this, this waiting uh, that is not so much like a positive encouragement, but an attitude of one who is not dismayed and is fighting all adversity that's come his way. And he does so with a hope that this is not the end for me. And so I say this to you, family. Your suffering is not the end. Whatever it may be, I'll never minimize anybody's suffering. Whatever you want to classify as suffering, it is not the end. Whether that's some form of sickness, some form of 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 being of joblessness and of unemployment, having trouble conceiving in your marriage, trying to get married and just haven't yet found that person, some mental challenges, or even being persecuted for your faith, whatever suffering it, you're you're enduring and having to go through, it is not the end for you, especially for those who are in Christ. I think one of, the, one of the greatest Christmas songs, which, by the way, Christmas songs don't have an end season. I think they can be sung all throughout the year. But one of the greatest Christmas songs, I believe, is Joy to the World. Yeah, there you go. Somebody else thinks so. And there's a line in that song that sums up the, ex- the existence of Christ's first coming and his final return. Here's the line. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. Which is to say, hey, everything that's been touched by the curse of sin will be redeemed and restored by the blessings of Christ. And so Paul invites you and I to look forward to a time when the total effects of sin will be done away and creation will stand forth in all its glory as God intended intended it to be. And so listen in to how your future reality will be far more glorious than your current reality. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 6 describes this future reality like this where prey animals will not be threatened by their predator animals but actually they will dwell together as friends. Isaiah 35 describes it as a wilderness and a dry land will be glad and the land will rejoice with joy and singing. It also says there will be no weak hands, no feeble knees, nothing to be anxious about no blindness no death the mute will sing for joy everything will be filled with the glory of the lord is how he talks about this future reality and in that day the day when the future reality will be our current reality we'll forget about all kinds of suffering we won't even remember waiting 10 minutes for a starburst 
We will remember it no more, and our groanings will turn into praising. And we'll sing a song that's far better than Frozen. We'll join in on the elders and the angels and the weird creatures in heaven and sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And we'll sing, Worthy are you, our Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and you and by your will they existed and were created. And we'll join that kind of choir and we'll sing that forever as we enjoy the beauty of that future glory. Yes. So family, that day is coming. And the reason why I say it is coming because it's been promised to you and I by a faithful God, which means that you and I can wait patiently with hope. But there's one more component that Paul gives to us in our waiting And that is, man, you have the greatest help in all of history. God gives us the greatest help in all of history. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 26. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is, in the, what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I don't know how you engage that passage, but I want you to engage it as, a, as, as encouraging. This should be some, some encouraging news to you and I this morning. The Spirit of God right now is interceding on your behalf, is what Paul says. He not only says the Spirit does this, but Jesus Christ. And so you have two people of the Trinity interceding on your behalf, speaking directly to the Father. And so when you feel, which might be often, because I know I do, maybe you're better than me, when you feel like you don't have the correct words to say in your prayer life, or you get distracted in your praying, that's okay. Because the Scriptures tell us, that we have the greatest helper in history praying for us. And I'm, just, I'm learning in this season just how much I need help in my prayer life. Like, man, I, I'll set a timer for 30 minutes to just pray, and five minutes in, I've fallen asleep. Or, or like, I'm stumbling over things to, 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 to pray for. Or I feel like I don't even know how to pray. Or I'll get distracted from a text message. Or, I man, I'll just kind of come out of my prayer time and go, man, I, I only prayed about myself. But this verse has provided me great comfort. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Here's the deal, family. There is much to look forward to beyond this lifetime. And I believe those who have placed their trust in Christ Jesus have a great deal of hope and excitement for what is to come beyond this life. But those who have not trusted and believed in Christ Jesus, I would just say, hey, there's much to fear and dread beyond this lifetime. Instead of singing, there'll be a lot of crying and weeping. Instead of rejoicing, 
It's going to allow to be a lot more pain and sorrow. And so if you kind of journeyed into this place wondering what it means to trust Jesus or, explore, or place your faith in Jesus, hey, I'll just encourage you like have a conversation with one of the members here at New Life. But also hear the good news of the gospel as Paul says in Romans uh, 5. That God demonstrated his love for us that while you and I were still sinners, Christ died so that you could be rescued and freed from the wrath of God and experience all the glorious benefits and blessings in Christ Jesus. So what do we do with a passage like this? How do we apply this to our lives? I've got three applications for you. Here's one. Fix your eyes on your suffering king. Fix your eyes on your suffering king. I mean, Jesus put on flesh. He, he, he lived a blameless and perfect life. He, and he, he experienced the most cruciating, excruciating death of all that you and I deserve on our behalf. So he knows what it looks like and he knows what it, what it means to suffer. I think we, in the midst of our suffering, can fix our eyes on one who knows what it's like. Like a great verse to meditate on is Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2. Second thing is meditate on the promises of God. Meditate on the promises of God. Psalm 139 says, hide, your, hide God's word in your heart. And like, you would do yourself a good service to hide the word of God, and not just the word of God, but store up the promises of God in your heart and your soul. Lastly, which I think may be the more difficult one of the three, embrace your seasons of suffering and embrace your weakness. I think we have the tendency to minimize our seasons of suffering. We have the tendency to kind of run from it because we don't know what to do with it. But Paul goes, hey, lean into your suffering. Lean into your weaknesses. Why? Because Christ says, hey, my grace is sufficient for you. I'll leave you with this quote from the Pilgrim's Progress. The main character Christian says this. He says, regardless of how high and difficult this hill is, I'm determined to walk up it because I know it leads to the way of life. I might become weak or even scared, but I will have the courage and press on because it's better to be on the right path, even if it's difficult, than to go an easier way and be miserable. Let us pray. Jesus, your words to the disciples and even everybody who's read them and heard them. John 14, you, you told us. Um, you're the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through you. You've also been completely honest with us that to follow you and to give our life to you would not be an easy feat. It's not peaches and cream to follow you. It's actually a life of suffering and denying oneself and carrying our cross. But in the midst of that, at the end, we get to experience you. We get to, we get to see what it's like to be redeemed and be restored. We get to see what it's like to, to, to not endure any more suffering and pain when it's all said and done. So until that time comes, 
May we hold on to the hope of the gospel and, 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 and really lean into that our future reality is far more glorious than our current circumstances. May we do that for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.